How many have read at some stage the story of Jonah? Well, we might close in prayer and um, uh, head back home. It's been a wonderful service. Thank you for being with us. Jonah, our journey in life. Um, during last year, I started to revisit the story of Jonah and it really challenged me afresh. Challenged me afresh because the more I looked at the, at the story of Jonah, the more I saw my own life and the challenges of my own life in there. And I, I believe this morning, if we open our hearts and our minds um, to this story, um, we'll find that there are pictures of our own life, our own journey that is in there. Story of Jonah was incredibly important for Israel as a nation, incredibly important for Jesus as he taught his followers, incredibly important for the early church, and therefore incredibly important for you and I. A quick summary, it'll come up on the screen because uh, Simon's gonna put it up there. The key is it's about a journey, a man, a people, a nation. So much of it speaks of our journey with God and with those around us. We go away a bit in winter, only a little bit in winter. I only do one trip away, but it takes all the winter. And I try and get across to friends who, who travel with vans. It's not just about the destination, it's about the journey. And this story is about the journey. For centuries, the book of Jonah was read on the Day of Atonement for Israel as a nation. It was their most solemn feast, and so the, the, the book became a key. Repentance, forgiveness, a fresh start. What better message can we be looking at at the start of a new year? Repentance, forgiveness, a fresh start. So why so important for, for, for Jesus? Matthew records, one day some of the teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to him and said, teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. Decent question. He replied, only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the son of man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. There's something about this story which Jesus grabs a hold of to try and speak to those who really are opposed to him. So there's something in this story which is incredibly important for those who are listening at that stage. Now, I'm, I'm going to throw up a, a number of quotes that I've, I've got from different authors on this. And it this is what really, I guess, challenged me a lot during the end of last year. The key message, one author says, is this. It's impossible to run away from God's presence. God takes pity, compassion on all his creatures, and he is ever willing to accept true repentance. Story about running away. We can't run away from God. God always has compassion on all. Always willing to accept true repentance from you and I. Journey of God, journey of Jonah, the journey of us. This, this statement I found very helpful. As Jonah goes, he discovers that God goes with him. He cannot shake God off. He cannot hide, lose himself or put himself in such a bad odour that God 
with God that is deserted by him. This is one of the most significant themes penetrating the whole of this brief text. God goes with him. Even when Jonah is stepping right away from God's will, even when Jonah is disobeying God totally, God goes with him. He can't hide from God, he can't lose himself, and he can't put himself in such a bad odour with God that God lets go of him. I've got to hear that. I've got to hear that regularly in my life, that uh, things that I do that aren't right, God doesn't let go of me. God holds on to me and God will never let go. 2023 is gone. 2024 has started. It's a message that you and I need to hear this year. I'm going to try and look at it in four, the four chapters just very briefly and encourage you to go home and read in more, more detail. Chapter one, the issue of running away from God and its impact on others. In this chapter, we find that uh, God has told Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and to preach to them. They're a wicked city. They're known for their wickedness. Go to Nineveh, preach to them, and Jonah runs the opposite direction. In that day and age, you couldn't have gone further away from Nineveh if you tried. And what Jonah has to learn in chapter one, and you and I, running away from God will always impact other people. Jonah thinks it's just him. I'll get into this boat going to Tarshish. I'll sail away and I'll forget about Nineveh. But he forgets that that decision he is making impacts all of the sailors on that boat. If you and I know there's something in our hearts and lives where we're running away from God, we need to hold on to this morning. It's not just impacting us. It's impacting those around us. Go, God says to him, to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it. I've seen how wicked its people are. One author says this, Nineveh is a world outside of Jonah's comfort zone. Surely God cannot love those sinners. I'll run away from God, so he thinks. I don't know whether your mind's like mine. Sometimes I look at some of the things that are happening uh, in our world and I think, God, you've got to judge that group. They're surely coming under your judgment. The book brings out that God loves all, no matter what, and Jonah's got to learn that. Goes the opposite direction. Great storm. The seamen are scared. They start to lighten the ship. Eventually find Jonah's the cause. He's having a sleep downstairs. He's indifferent to those who are being impacted by his decision to run from God. Another author says this. His disobedience has affected those around him the sailors fear for their lives. Part one of Jonah's journey is that. You can't run away from God without it impacting others. You and I need to just look at ourselves afresh today. Are the things that God is asking of us, telephone someone, catch up with someone, visit someone, do something, give to something. And if we are running away from what God is asking, it's not just us. It's going to impact those around. Secondly, chapter two, the issue of repentance. Jonah finds himself in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a great fish. We never ever told it's a whale, um, but in, the, in, the, in a, a great fish swallows him up and he's down in the depths of whatever. 
can imagine all those gastric juices, can't you, all gurgling around and uh, all that are there. Lunch will follow this today for you and I. We read that Jonah prays to the Lord his God from inside the fish. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. He's entangled, he's entombed, abandoned, there's no way out and it's his fault. Notice that God is answering Jonah's prayer from inside the fish. Something I had to learn afresh that when we are running away, when there are things in our lives that shouldn't be there, God wants to answer our prayers in the midst of all of our struggles. Whatever's happening, whatever's going down, God is going to listen to us in the midst of all of that. One author says this, God comes with us into the consequences of our choices in order to save us there. There's no negative choice that you and I can make that God cannot come into that situation and be with us in that situation that we find. Salvation, another author says, is not in the first instance God taking, out of our, taking us out of our mess, but God meeting us within it. I love that quote. God meets us in the middle of our mess. We made a mess at communion this morning. Wasn't it fantastic? God meets you and I in the middle of our messiness. No matter what's happening in us, of our families, the situations we're in, God's salvation is within that mess. He's cast in the sea. He's lost in all of that. Three days, three nights, same imagery of Jesus in the tomb. All is lost. There's no hope. All of lost is gone. But what changes? What changes this time for Jonah inside of this great fish? The author says the story changes with prayer in the midst of the worst situation. Imagine Jonah tries to find his Bible. No, he probably couldn't have found it down in there. But there's something about him, him knowing that he's got to sort something out with God. And he starts to commune with God in the middle of that fish. Whether for Jonah or ourselves, the great wonder of this kind of prayer is that our Lord and his great love towards us condescends to deliver us out of our frequently self-inflicted mess. Anyone else? It just me that relates to this. God, in his great compassion for you and I, condescends to deliver you and I from our frequently self-inflicted mess. It may just be me, so if that's the case, you have a snooze this morning. But there are things that happen in our lives that we know shouldn't be there. And in the midst of all that struggle, God wants to be there with us. Repentant prayer is the key. The great fish spews him out. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? And he's back on dry land. Repentance is a complete change in direction in our lives. Jonah's journey is about as far from where he should be going as, it, as he should have been. So rather than Nineveh, he's going to Tarshish. Repentance for him means turning around and doing what God is asking him. Nothing's changed for you and I. If we find ourselves in a self-inflicted mess because of our own stupidity, repentance may mean you and I changing direction. 
and following what God has really put upon our hearts. Third chapter. We're getting there, aren't we? You're right? You're still with me? Haven't snoozed off yet? Third chapter I probably love more than all the rest. It's about obedience. And it's about God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and the fifth chance. Sometimes you and I get in our minds, once we've done something wrong, that God has finished with us, put us on the shelves and moved on. But what we need to discover afresh is even if we've got ourselves in a self-inflicted mess, God is the God of the second chance. We read this, God spoke to Jonah a second time, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. I love this line. This time Jonah obeyed and went. I can imagine the choices wouldn't have been too much for him. He's learned his lesson. God never gives up on you and I. Even when we're disobediently going in an opposite direction, God uses the situation to turn him around. Nineveh is a thousand k's from where um, Jonah is spewed up. And I wonder in that thousand k's, he's not got into his wonderful Jeep and travelled. He'll be walking or whatever transport. A lot of time to go through things in his mind. I wonder what he's been thinking on that journey. And I wonder what the people of Nineveh are thinking because God wants to bring change to their lives. They have 40 days to repent. It's a key term in the Bible. 40 days is, is happening in, in many situations. It, it is God's time to work those things out in the people's lives. We read that the king believed. He puts on sackcloth. The people believe. They put on even the animals put on sackcloth because they realise the issue. And we have the words here, the king believed, which is exactly the same word about Abraham. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Whatever God has done in the lives of these people of Nineveh, it has brought a radical transformation. And all it has meant is that Jonah had to obey God and go. This quote I liked. Jonah's approach to Nineveh was simple. The city was wicked and should be punished. God's approach to Nineveh was simple. The city had changed, repented and should be delivered. Maybe the key is intended to contrast the idea of God's justice and grace with that of Jonah's. Sometimes you and I can be so judgmental. A semi-shake. Jonah is judgmental against the people of Nineveh. They are so wicked. God, you can't do anything in their lives. And sometimes we can be guilty of putting people in a box and saying they're too far from God. Nothing can change. God is a God of grace. God is a God of a huge compassion. And Jonah has to learn that, that God sees people in, with different eyes to what Jonah did. We're getting there. Chapter 4. Chapter 4, learning from life that God can deal with our anger and confusion. You read the story. I hope you go home and reread the book of Jonah a little bit. 
But Jonah's been and he's preached to Nineveh. They've repented and put on sackcloth. What does Jonah do? He goes and sits down because he's waiting for God's judgment to come. He says, it's going to be good. I can sit and watch all this. God is going to judge and I'll be able to sit and watch and see it when God judges the people. So he sits down and it's hot. It's hot and he's getting sunbaked, no um, sun cream on. So God gives him a tree which grows over him and gives him great shade. And he's now happy. He's still waiting for judgment, but he's happy under this tree. And then God supplies a worm of all things and it eats all the leaves on the tree and Jonah's all getting sunburned again. And Jonah gets so angry with God. He's discovered the presence of God within the great fish. He's now got to discover afresh the compassion of God when it comes to a people. Jonah was therefore reasoning, since the heathens are nearer to repentance, I might be causing Israel to be condemned. I would rather die. This becomes a key to the whole story. Part of Jonah's reasoning is the people of God should be the nearest to him. They're not. They've let God let go of God in different ways. And so Jonah, in a sense, is worried that the people of God, Israel, will miss out. And so he's contrasting the people of Nineveh are able to convert and change and repent and do what God's doing. What happens now for Israel? Same issues. If Israel won't sort out things with God, then issues will follow them. And you and I need to be aware of the focus, not just on those outside who might seem to you and I to be so far from God, but on us. Where is our journey? What's happening in our lives? What challenges is God putting before us? Jesus, when he brings up this story for those around, one commentator says, Jesus uses Nineveh's repentance to shame and condemn those of Jesus' contemporaries who failed to repent on hearing the teaching of the Lord. He's got this great group around them, Jesus has, and they should be seeing that he's the Messiah. They should be taking on board what he's saying, but they're not. They've refused. They've blocked up that. And what Jesus is trying to do is to contrast with them. They know the story of Nineveh. They know the story of this deep repentance and change that God has brought. And he's using that to try to shame those who supposedly should be so close to him, but aren't. Sometimes people outside the family of God challenge decisions I make. Sometimes people outside of us might see things in a much better way than you and I can sometimes do because we've got our blinkers on in some way. The chapter ends with um, Jonah complaining to the Lord, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. God, it's your fault. I knew you were going to give in and, and forgive them and cleanse them and give them a new life. I didn't want to be part of that. I wanted them to suffer. God, I know, I knew that you were merciful and compassionate and therefore I left and didn't do what you asked of me. Isn't that a crazy response? 
But he knew that God's grace and God's mercy was so powerful that even the people of Nineveh could come to follow God in their own way. How do we conclude this? One, to accept that in his freedom, God may use non-Christians to challenge and teach us, to enable us to grow into a deeper maturity and a greater likeness to Christ may prove to be a most painful and humiliating growth point. God may choose to use people who perhaps aren't following Christ to challenge and teach us. Fridays is an important day for me. I get up to play golf. Not many more days are important than that. And I play golf down at Bayview with a group and our name is the Hasbeens. We're on that path and you can probably work out why that name has been chosen. We're all getting old a bit. We're not playing as well as we used to play. So we're the Hasbeens. We have different coloured shirts to put on each week and we have the name Hasbeens and we play. I've never been part of a group in my whole life who are so caring for each other. Not Christians. I've never been part of a group that is so compassionate for each other. There's one guy who was really struggling with Parkinson's and a bit of Alzheimer's. So what do they do? They make sure that someone, get, they get a cart for him, they drive him around in the cart, they work out where his ball has gone, they get, tell him which, which club to use, they help him face the right direction because he hit it the wrong way. And so one person gives up their goal for that day to travel around with this guy. God will use anybody to challenge us. And that group of caring guys has challenged me, what does real compassion and love involve with those around me? Jonah could not accept that the law of grace should work in favour of his enemies, but neither could he accept life without God's grace for himself. We need to take on board that God's grace is for all and continues to be for all. This quote I found helpful. God's graciousness to Nineveh was unacceptable. God's withdrawal of grace to Jonah, that's the tree that the, that the grub ate through, was unacceptable. He longed for a God who was partial like himself instead of a God who was gracious, merciful and responsive to the cries of all creation. He wanted his own personal God rather than the God who made heaven and earth, sea and dry land and loves creation. You and I can become so guilty of trying to form God in our own image. So guilty of trying to, trying to form up God in a way that we think works best. But God's graciousness and compassion exceeds all of that. And this story has been a challenge for Jonah in so many ways. A challenge about those who seem so far from God and a challenge about his own nation that should be close but is not. Are we guilty sometimes of trying to form God in our own image? Are we guilty of trying to make things not what they should be? Jonah has to learn God is gracious and compassionate. God loves and keeps on loving. One commentator said, history would be more intelligible if God's word were the last word and final unambiguous like a dogma or unconditional decree. It would be easier to accept God's anger as automatic once wickedness had reached its full measure. 
God will one day restore all things, but in God's, God's timing and God's compassion. As I close, can I look at how we respond to this today? And I'm coming from where this book has challenged me afresh. If those who are a long way from God can repent, what about us who are close to him? If God can bring about the transformation of any life because God is compassionate, what about you and I? Are we starting 2024 dragging with, with us some of the debris from 2023? Are the things that we know we've taken on board in attitudes or lifestyles last year that we've got to jettison? We've got to clear those things up that God might take us to the next step. Which chapter most reflects you and me at the moment? Four chapters. One, am I running away from God? Maybe this morning you're here and, and you're not normally part of a church family. It's great to have you. And maybe this morning you're coming to be confronted again by a God who loves you with compassion and grace. And today is the day that you can actually give yourself afresh to him. Today can be the day that you can take on board in a very powerful way God's grace and love in your heart and your life. Just as important for us who have been on the Christian journey for a while. What are we running away from? And how can this morning you and I respond in a positive way and let God be God? And it may be for you and I today that we've got to come to a point afresh where we recommit ourselves to him. Say, God, this is a new year, a new opportunity for us to do the things you're asking, knowing that our decision impacts others, workplace, social life, in, in so many ways. Or is it chapter two? That we're in a messy situation. We've got ourselves into a mess and we know we're in that mess and we still and we think that perhaps God's abandoned us in that mess. The story of Jonah is critical for you and I. That God comes in the very center of the mess that Jonah's got himself into, in the middle of that fish. God is there, God is waiting and God is there to answer his prayer. Maybe this morning you need to forgive yourself. You may need to say, God, you're the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance. What changes? Acknowledging who God is and repenting from the things that we've been doing that we shouldn't have been doing. Third one I love when that takes place. God is the God of the second chance. God will never let go of you and I. No matter how many times... I don't know if I can use the word, we stuff things up. Can I use that word, Simon? No matter how many times we stuff things, I've used it anyway. God is there and God will love us. God will take us. God will fill us. God will use us. And he'll even use the experiences that we've gone through, perhaps we, we shouldn't have gone through. God loves you and I in the midst of our messiness. Nothing we can do that is too messy for God to come and be there with us. Jonah discovered that. May we discover it. Well, finally, maybe your chapter four, that you've got to keep learning from life and learning that 
God can deal with our anger and confusion. Jonah was so angry and so confused, but God could deal with that. Some things create that in us. We may be angry about things that are happening around. Why is that taking place? God can handle that. We can bring our anger and confusion to him for he is a God of grace and mercy. If our team can come, we have a last song we want to share with you. I've had to respond to this message myself. I've had a chance to work through this in my own life and come to spend some time with God with it. My prayer is that you and I will do this today. Whatever it is from the story of Jonah that God is going to use to somehow bring us back on track, we'll allow him to do that today. I'm going to pray. We're going to have our final song. If you need to respond in some way this morning, if something's triggered in you, Jonah had to make a physical response. Can I invite you this morning during this next song or afterwards just to come and sit at the front? You can come and sit here by yourself if you want to, but if you want others, we'll just come and sit next to you and just pray with you. Because it's not much point in us taking on board in our heads a message and leaving unchanged. God speaks a message into you and my life that he might bring change, transformation. Jonah, after this experience, was a very different man. I'm sure he listened to God more. I pray. I, I, I guess he was far less stubborn. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story of Jonah. We thank you for its power for the nation of Israel, that, Lord, you use this story to just deal with people around you. And today, we want to thank you as we start 2024 that this story is still just as powerful as it's ever been. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would take your word and you will just uh, touch us deep in our very psyche. That, Lord, you'll bring about the changes. We repent of the things that we need to repent of. We accept your call afresh. And this year, we just ask that you would journey with us and us with you, wherever you want to take us. For, Lord, we, this we pray in your name. Amen.